how do you onboard people? How do you prime the oldsters in an organization to understand this newcomer that's on board? Are they priming them in a way that makes it easier for that person to build high quality connections, especially quickly early on in their relationship that's going to help them tons? So there, for each one of these suggestions I'm making, you could think about how do you build this into an organizational practice? And onboarding is a really potent one because I said beginnings matter. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Happiness Squad. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your full potential by mastering the art and science of happiness. We bring on the best leading experts on these topics to help you unlock your true potential and live with more joy, health, love, and meaning in your life. Your host is no other than the star combo of Ashish Katari and Anil Ramjiani, who are both on a mission to provide you with an unfair advantage to be the masters of your experience and leaders in your industry. Get ready to be moved, challenged, and enlightened on this podcast. It may change your life. Thanks for being here and joining the squad. Hey, Happiness Squad. It's great to have you with Ashish and I as we continue to discuss with our guests who are industry leaders and experts helping individuals and organizations unlock their inner happiness and flourishing. We continue our conversation with two luminaries of flourishing, Jane Dutton and Monica Warline, co-authors of Awakening Compassion at Work, The Quiet Power That Elevates People, in a special two-part episode. In part one, we discussed Jane's flourishing triangle a powerful conversation around positive connections, meaning, and emotions. Now, in part two, we continue our conversation and delve into a powerful question and routine that organizations can learn from the classroom as they look to unleash flourishing within a new team. We will learn more from Monica and Jane around awakening compassion at work and the capacity and shifts achieved within an organization amongst peers. As we round out the conversation, stay tuned till the end. We discuss a real-world example from a corporate setting with an open invitation to every team considering how they can integrate this daily dynamic to unlock the power and potential of flourishing at work. Let's rewire for happiness together, folks. Please join Ashish and I as we continue with Jane and Monica on The Happiness Squad. I love that. Give me that, re- repeat that question again, Monica. What gifts? What gifts do you bring to this community that you will share? Wow. I can just imagine, you know, I was facilitating uh, these two companies are coming together. They're merging, they're integrating. As you can imagine, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, confusion. There's a lot of worry are all all of us going to be here there's a lot of judgment we do it this way you do it that way you know they're looking for what's different they're looking for what's similar what's different i love the power of this question i'm actually going to try it already and i invite our listeners to try it as well in your next interaction go to your team even if you've a team that you worked with for several weeks months years step back and over lunch just go around and share ask that question what gifts do you bring, right, in the service of this community? Oh, my God. Like, it's so powerful. It is so powerful. I love yeah, it. Thank I mean, you. I, 
I have to add that, so Monica and my colleague, Adam Grant, so Adam was a student with Monica, we did research on um, on being a contribution and the importance of framing yourself as a contribution, contribution and what, di- what that does in terms of people's motivation and their behavior. And what Monica is doing, part of what she, the magic of what she's doing um, is, again, you know, invoking a contribution mindset in every student who joins a class. Or again, like you said, in any company who comes together, you are priming the, are nudging people to be in more of a contribution mindset when they start, um, which is, again, a very different place than looking for, like you said, differences or um, how am I going to fit in here? Or there's just a whole bunch of ways we might think about going into a new group that would not be as resource producing. That's what we're really interested in. How do we unlock the resources in the room um, in an efficient, effective way? And we know this flourishing client triangle is just one simple way to sort of think about yourself. Well, are we unlocking positive emotion? Are we unlocking positive meaning? Are we unlocking positive connections? And especially within the very, you know, like in a meeting, the first 10 minutes, you know, in the, in a, in a gathering of our our teams, team startup, it's in the first meeting, you know, or whatever. So, cause it changes the trajectory of what's possible. Part of what I know that you are doing with your work and what I appreciate so much about the work is that you're giving people in organizations that have um, a lot of standard operating procedures on the way things have always been done, a new way to imagine. And so often when I get to talk with people in organizations, they just never thought that a question like what gifts and contributions do you bring to this group was an appropriate question to ask at work. Like the, and they, they, they can't even imagine until you introduce it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I love that. I want to do it every time. I want to do it every time. I'm going to kick off almost every new client meeting I have with that question. I, and I, you know, absolutely. What gifts do you bring? Yeah, no, I just, I want to bring a bit of a real life situation into this that just happened to me in the last five days. So the reason why what you both have just said really resonates, I love it, this, this, this contribution mindset. I was in a situation with a very small core team where things are done in a certain way and they're done in a certain way because that's how relationships are built. That's how the brand is built. That's how the team functions. And, you know, I came out of this week feeling a bit discouraged, a bit demotivated by how the team operated. And I had a chat with my coach about this and he said, okay, so Neil, what's your role? What's your purpose? And immediately I want to go back to, oh, roles and responsibilities. We need to have a team meeting on roles and responsibilities. I was like, no, I think we need to have a, we need to go out for a dinner and have some drinks and some laughs and, and maybe get to know each other that way and figure out how we can overcome this situation next time. I actually want to now apply this this coming week, what you have just shared. This, you know, just to the small group, ask them, what gifts do you bring into this team that you would like to share? And I'm really curious to see how the mindset or how the awareness or how the dynamic may or may not shift. And I'm going to come back to each of you and share this was 
how the team reacted versus a standard, hey, let's have a roles and responsibility conversation. You're encroaching in my territory or maybe I'm encroaching in your territory. So I just, I found that incredibly powerful. So I just, I asked my listeners just to stop and pause for a moment. Think about a moment where you came into a session and you do things as you always do. How could this question change the dynamic? And I would love for us to hear about that. So you can comment on it later and and tell us how it went. But Monica, I do actually want to shift to another topic that I know you're incredibly passionate about. You both co-authored with Jane, Awakening Compassion at Work. Now, when I first heard this and I, I looked into this the other day, talking to Ashish, I was like, Ashish, but what does it mean by awakening compassion at work? Like, are you, you know, is it an alarm clock? You're like, hey, wake up. Everyone needs to like give each other a hug. You need to like start to self, you know, self-appreciate each other. Like, w- could you maybe just help our listeners understand, like, what do you mean by it? And similar, how could they apply this, if not today, tomorrow, at home, at work, in their life? Mm, yes. Every organization that I know right now is laden with suffering. Uh, even the greatest organizations among us that are performing well, uh, people are tired. The shifting conditions of the pandemic continue to create upheaval. Burnout is beyond epidemic levels. Uh, and um, people's lives have been turned upside down, inside out, and um, upside down again. And organizations where compassion is awakened simply understand that it is necessary for any organization that wants to be high-performing to notice and attend to the suffering that is created in work. And to that as part of doing high performing work, we create stress and distress. And the best organizations awaken our capacity to tend to and heal that stress and distress. We have, as you all know, and as people have studied, the innate capacity and desire to turn toward others who are suffering. Human beings have that. But most institutions shut it down. They tell us, don't, if you're suffering and you want to look like a professional, don't show your suffering at work. Don't cry in a meeting, whatever you do. Um, Don't let other people see you sweat right? Um, That's usually the work mantras that people receive. And by awakening compassion at work, we simply mean that we know it's impossible for people to leave their suffering at the door of work, even though professional norms preach that. Um, What we can do is awaken to the fact that whole human beings will bring suffering with them, and awaken our capacity to respond to that suffering with compassion and to alleviate the distress such that the organization can continue to perform at the levels it expects to perform while the people who need relief get relief. And rather than that being a trade-off, that's a synergistic relationship that actually bolsters both the human and the organization performance. 
You know, Monica, there is so much in that response. I, I love it. And I'm going to unpack a couple of these things that deeply resonated. By the way, when I like just friends, get a copy of this book, Awakening Compassion at Work. Just that, that I first read that title, you know, it just, I moved my heart. I mean, and what I loved about it, it didn't say be compassionate, go do something. It said awaken. We all we all, not just humans, every sentient being has innate in them compassion, right? I mean, you, you might have, if you haven't, you know, you, uh, I have read and I was moved by this, uh, this uh, uh, study, right? Where when they studied, when if a mice is caught, when the mouse is caught in a, in a tube uh, and they can't get out, the other mouse will try and get that mouse out. I read about this story. I don't know if it's real or not, because half the things you read, you never know, right? But I read this story this morning about, you know, this, this Japanese uh, uh, house where apparently a lizard was stuck in a place and, they, I'm, and there was another lizard that was feeding it for a long period of time. It's probably not real, but it's still a powerful story. It said five years, the lizard had a nail in its feet and it was stuck to the wall. And, and you know, this man observes and sees this other lizard feed it. And that's how it had been kept alive. Don't know if it's real or not, but it's still a very powerful story. So one is I love that you talked about awakening compassion. We, for, we forget. It's to reconnect with who we are. Again, this notion of being. I think also reconnect with the fact that we all have suffering. We all have things that we are going through. And when we allow others to share, we naturally feel the desire to connect through that, right? And to be able to alleviate it, which was the other point you mentioned. As companies, as teams, you know, there is a unique ability for us to serve each other and to make a difference. And when we do it, we, uh, we really improve, uh, improve performance, you know? I was having a conversation uh, with, a, with, a, with one of the heads of HR for a company, and we had a question around financial hardship, one of the biggest things that so many struggle with. And I asked them, do you ask that question in your surveys? And maybe ask a question, ask a question around that. And they're like, oh, we don't want to ask that question. And I was like, why? They're like, well, we don't, uh, like, we, we can't do anything about it. I'm like, well, why not? First of all, why not? There might be something that you can do about it. But regardless, putting our head in the sand and not even recognizing if somebody is facing financial hardship, how can you expect them to show up and care and do their best job at work when they're so worried about putting food on their family's table, right? And so I love it. It's awakening compassion. It's wake up to who you are, bring your whole self to work and step in. Don't just, don't empathize. Be compassionate, which means collectively think about how we can make a difference to each other. Because you know what? Those moments will come in all our lives. Are you enjoying the show so far? Let me ask you a few questions before going back. Have you ever wondered why so many of us struggle with stress, anxiety, and burnout and feel stuck in life? Heck, maybe you're going through this right now. Well, the reason for this lies in the evolutionary biology of our brains, which are hardwired for fear. It's part of the reason why our team named this podcast Happiness Squad. It serves as a reminder that happiness is what really matters and that we are in this together. And that is why we are so excited to share with you a resource to help you on your journey. One of our hosts, Ashish Gatari, launched a book 
Hardwired for Happiness, and it is a number one Amazon bestseller. When you get access to this book, you will discover nine secular practices that can change your life and are backed by scientific evidence from psychology and neuroscience. Learn how you can integrate hardwired for happiness practices in every part of your life to unlock your best self regardless of how busy you are. Shift from knowing to doing to being with a range of journaling, meditation, and group coaching exercises, and so much more. Go to www.happinesssquad.com forward slash book to get access right now. We also have bonuses on the page that you don't want to miss. Once again, www.happinesssquad.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and I, I need to add that I think one of the things that excited me so much in doing this book with Monica is that I think by the end of this, the book, and we really had done research on this topic for about 10 years before we wrote the book, it's a really an organizational lens on this problem. Like there are lots of compassion training programs that are individual, like that are about awakening our own compassion. But this is really about how do you design or build structures in organization that makes it more likely that, you know, that, that suffering can be noticed, that suffering can be felt. Um, that suffering can be interpreted in ways that actually activate action. And again, this four-part process and also organizational conditions that foster effective action in the face of suffering. So it's, it, I think what distinguishes our book and our perspective as organizational researchers is to think about how do you build this in in sustainable ways in organizations beyond saying compassionate culture. Yes. Yeah, because that's sort of like this, you know, culture is so darn hard to change. So, Anil, if we go back to your example with your team that you were sharing and you say you want to, you know, change the question that you start with. Um, and then you think you have this roles and responsibilities discussion that you have to have. One of the things we do that's very pragmatic around awakening compassion at work is that we say, Every role in an organization can be done with compassion. So if I'm the CEO, compassion's my job. If I'm the general counsel, compassion's my job. If I'm the receptionist, compassion's my job. If I'm the designer, compassion's my job. So you can ask people to take their role and say, imagine you get to describe your role any way you want to. But the word compassion has to appear in your description. Rewrite your role description with the word compassion in it. And then you can share them as a team. And suddenly you have everyone sharing the gifts they bring to the table and rewriting their role description so that part of their responsibility is to awaken compassion. And you have changed the dynamic of your team profoundly. I'm going to actually add, I'm going to morph a quote on this compassion because you make such a compelling case for it. I was going to morph something that the Dalai Lama said, but I'm going to monikize it. Or Monica, <laughs> he, said, he said, love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. And my version of this for this podcast for our listeners, inspired by Jane and Monica is, Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, organizations cannot thrive. I think we need to make them be 
not something that is knowing. We need to integrate them into our practices, into our role descriptions, into our job descriptions, so we can practice them every day when we introduce ourselves to each other. We can start with that story. We can start with that seed. Thank you both. Beautiful. I, I am going to say, you didn't steal it. We share the same wavelength, Ashish, because that was exactly what I was going to say on the back of job descriptions. Like, So it's one thing in a role description when you're in a meeting. I would empower any listener out there who touches HR or a job description and add these words to it. Compassion, courage, like opening. Yeah, these, these are ideas that, that shouldn't just be ideas. These should be integrated in our, in our lives. And it's only then people are going to see it as important. And I, I also want to loop back to your point briefly, Monica, on the capacity. So one of the individuals I had a conversation with this past week in my moment was, you know, father of a, of a child who's ill. And I, I said to him, I was like, mate, like, while you're dealing with the stress of all this, like, what about your kid? He's like, no, no, my kid is my number one priority. And suddenly there, like we, we, we bonded on that. We had a connection on that. And I, it's like, he understood where I was coming from, from a professional standpoint, but I'm thinking, Hey, like forget the work bit. I have so much uh, compassion for what you're having to deal with at home and juggle all these things. So I just, I, I, again, I, uh, I ask our listeners to think about, we all have the capacity, right? You just have to tap into it. It's not something that uh, you need to, to figure out and it can be taught. Right. So if you don't feel like you know it, you have the capacity and it can be taught. Speaking of, of, of what can be taught, you know, Monica and Jane, I'm just I've, I've truly enjoyed this conversation. And what I'd like to do is as we close, we love our guests to share a couple of tips that not only matter to them, but really help them in face of challenge, difficulty to flourish. What would you say from your side, Monica, Jane, would you like to share with the listeners? that you take on board when you're faced with a moment of anxiety, of stress, and you're like, yes, this is what I do. This is how I unlock my inner flourishing. Jane and I have a practice we call duetting. And in the duet, often I get to go first (laughs) by request. Um, That's how the music is written. So what I want to say as a tip is that with practices like these, uh, one of the objections that people often have is that it's time consuming or we're, we're busy, we're overloaded, um, we're t- we're, we have a lot of demands to meet. Um, we need to be task oriented. We don't have time for all this extra stuff. And um, I think it's very useful and helpful and important to bring it down to what is very small, right? And to keep the idea that small moves matter, If you turn that into your mantra (laughs) and you think every time there's a small thing that can be done with greater compassion, that can be done with more connection, that can be done with a little bit more positive emotion, those small moves change the waters that we're swimming in, in ways that are unexpectedly powerful. And so the small move of making eye contact and smiling 
the small move of giving yourself a deep, calming breath and a grounding moment. Um, the small move of reaching out a hand to someone else and maybe just resting it on a shoulder of someone who needs buoying. And that may be that gesture, maybe all you have to give in the moment or all you have time for as you walk by in the hallway. And it, it's profoundly important that we do those small moves. Wow. We're a big believer of small moves, tiny habits, small little moves. It's at the heart of the micro practices uh, in our Hardwired for Happiness or Happiness Foundations course. I love it. I love those three. Oh, my God. Three simple things. Jane, where would you build on that? Yeah. So I guess I, I'll build on it and say my one thing to offer would be the power of micro communities. So just like micro moves matter micro communities matter. Like I see a lot of people get overwhelmed in organizations going, Oh my God, this organization is so big. It's sort of done things for such a long way time this way. It's so impossible. But this idea just start locally with a micro community. It could be a team. It could be a unit. It can be a subset of a unit, subset of a team. Um, and don't, and, and believe that if you make changes within that micro community, that this is what David Cooperwriter, now Kim Cameron, would say, it will be heliotropic. That is, it is like light and people lean to it. People, It is giving off energy. It is giving off light. If, if you really do start a micro community that flourishes, and this is in some sense what the Center for Positive Organizations, I mean, I remember when we started, it was like people were like studying compassion and forgiveness and all these things. And, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of people. Yes. But People were so on fire. It was contagious. You know, they were on fire. We weren't, we we're still teaching, still doing research, still doing the same work, but we were doing it with a, again, an energy and a capacity, a commitment, a purpose, et cetera, that really had us flourishing. And, and people leaned into it and it spread. And so we've seen this in many organizations where a sub team, like, for example, the business and finance group at the University of Michigan, believe it or not, that historically was a group that was completely off the map in terms of flourishing. Um, and it started with a small group of people in that unit. And then the next thing you know, everyone's sort of looking like, what's happening? Why are people actually asking to come work in the business finance group? There wasn't a turnover problem. It was an almost an attraction problem. You had too many people wanting to move in. <laughs> um, and these are the people, a lot of the people that are taking care of the building. I mean, this is like a different kinds of different kinds of jobs. So I guess uh, over the years of studying this, but also my own experience of when I have felt I'm in an organization that is not functioning well, and I felt sort of helpless to start with a small group of people doing small moves, you know. But I love it. I love it. That in fact, it will spread. I mean, this human goodness actually does spread. Um, you know what I love about that also is, Jane, oftentimes companies or, you know, people will talk about organizations and say, you know, I don't belong or I don't like the organization that there is, you know, the beauty of this is go find the three people you connect with, create your micro community and right there. I love that it puts the agency back in the hand of individuals. Right. Yeah. Right now, right away. 
Well, and it also, the other part, the reason I, I wanted to focus on micro community, Monica knows this, I, the soil matters. I mean, the, the, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like there's just too much pressure on individuals to do this alone. You know, that you have to do this alone. In fact, but if you can create a small garden, let's just go with crazy with that metaphor, because small garden and you till the soil. So within this small group, you know, peep, there is lots of positive emotion. There's lots of positive connection. People have a lot of meaning, self-meaning and, and, and meaning about the work, what they're trying to do. You, you know, you are tilling the soil with the nutrients that is going to unleash the flourishing, which is this generative resource producing process. Just, but just on that, Jane, and I, again, sorry, I'm going back to this, this past week was, was eye-opening and now it's going to be even more eye-opening with this conversation. You know, I think when you create that, you, the key word there is positive meaning, positive connection, positive emotion. Why? You might get into that little micro community and you might end up having a whinge. You might end up actually bringing negative emotion, negative meaning, and a negative connection when you're feeling like you've been wronged or like the company's not acting in your best favor, you feel betrayed. So the invitation to this, to this, to our listeners is reframe it, come at this micro community with positive intent, positive emotion, positive meaning. Would you, would you agree? Well, I, I think it's really important to say that um, this approach is not about getting rid of the negative at all. The negative, negative emotion, suffering, all those things are part of the human experience. You will never, it really is a, an issue of what do you, how do you meet that negative, those negative conditions? And if what really we're, we're really interested in is creating human capacity and resourcefulness to not just recover, but to bounce back in a more resilient uh, sort of positive way, then we need to, to, to couple it with human capacity and resourcefulness. And when we, when we have these conditions that we've been talking about that cost are flourishing, it creates, creates the capacity and capability to deal with the negative. The negative is really important. You will never get rid of it. I mean, it's actually critical. And if you're an organization pushing the edge, you're always going to have um, you know, negative emotions, negative connections, and those kinds of things. The question is, what is the capacity and capability that you need to deal with those negative, problematic, disruptive conditions? And it is in the generative, my generative, I just mean resource producing states of human individuals and collectives that creates these capacities and capabilities to deal with the negative. So I, this is not about this is not about positive washing and ex yeah. pretending that negativity doesn't exist or yeah. the suffering exist. is yeah. not going to be part of life. Embracing it. It's embracing yes. it and saying it has to be honored and met with humor. Yeah, and it goes back to our small moves discussion because the small move may be to have a question that honors people's experience and then turns toward how might we do this in a way that doesn't feel so bad? How might we find a way to voice what's going on so that it could be addressed differently? How might we honor the people's experience around this table of feeling discounted and devalued 
and find ways to work together more respectfully. And though that kind of a small turn that honors the experience in the room, but introduces the capacity for flourishing to be there simultaneously, I think is the small move that does what Jane's naming. I really, I think this could be a conversation for the, a future episode to explore this further. I just want to say again, thank you, Jane, Monica, Ashish, for, for the insight. I'm looking forward to this upcoming week and already putting into practice what we've discussed. So again, from my side, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you both. Such a pleasure. Yeah. Oh my God. I am just, I've loved this conversation. I am taking away Monica and Jane, the gift question. Every new meeting of mine is going to start with that. I invite our listeners to do the same. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Happiness Squad podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Go to www.happinesssquad.com where you can catch the show notes for this episode and learn more about us and the community we are building. The community is where we gather weekly to practice and connect with other learners, teachers, and practitioners working together to unlock our best selves. Lastly, follow along on Instagram at myhappinesssquad for tons of behind the scenes as well as short videos designed just for you. It's where we hang out in between episodes. Once again, www.happinessquad.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.